Our scripture reading is out of the book of Habakkuk, chapter 3, this morning. We are in Habakkuk, chapter 3. We're going to read the whole chapter. Starting in verse 1. This prayer was sung by the prophet Habakkuk. I have heard all about you, Lord. I'm filled with awe by your amazing works. In this time of our deep need, help us again as you did in years gone by. And in your anger, remember your mercy. I see God moving across the deserts from Edom, the Holy One coming from Mount Paran. His brilliant splendor fills the heavens and the earth is filled with his praise. His coming is as brilliant as the sunrise. Rays of light flash from his hands where his awesome power is hidden. Pestilence marches before him. Plague follows close behind. When he stops, the earth shakes. When he looks, the nations tremble. He shatters the everlasting mountains and levels the eternal hills. He is the eternal one. I see the people of Kashan in distress, the nation of Midian trembling in terror. Was it in danger, Lord, that you struck the rivers and parted the sea? Were you displeased with them? No, you were sending your chariots of salvation. You brandished your bow and your quiver of arrows. You split open the earth and flowing rivers. The mountains watched and trembled. Onward swept the raging waters. The mighty deep cried out, lifting its hands in submission. The sun and moon stood still in the sky as your brilliant arrows flew and your glittering spear flashed. You marched across the land in anger and trampled the nations in your fury. You went out to rescue your chosen people, to save your anointed ones. You crushed the heads of the wicked and stripped their bones from the head and toe. With his own weapons, you destroyed the chief of those who rushed out like a whirlwind, thinking Israel would be easy prey. You trampled the sea with your horses and the mighty waters piled high. I trembled inside when I heard this. My lips quivered with fear. My legs gave way beneath me and I shook in terror. I will wait quietly for the coming day when disaster will strike the people who invade us. Even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, able to tread upon the heights. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for this last week, Lord, of, of time of being able to gather as family and friends and, and reflect on what we are thankful for. We thank you for a, a, that time that we were able to spend. And Lord, we ask as we move forward into this week that you would be with uh, all of those involved in Walk Through Bethlehem, that Lord, you would be involved with all of those who aren't involved with Walk Through Bethlehem, Lord, that you would uh, just provide in, in amazing ways, Lord, that you would give us the energy and strength needed to accomplish your goal, Lord, that we would reach out to our community and we would draw them closer to you. Lord, I pray for this morning, this service. Uh, I ask that you would help us to be attentive in the pews this morning so that we may hear what you have for us in your word. Lord, be with Pastor Doug as he comes. Lord, give him strength in his voice and boldness in his heart to proclaim your truth this morning. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, here we are in the last Sunday of the month of November, and I found myself even this morning saying, where did the time go? Not only that, but we're coming to the end of this wonderful, small little book called Habakkuk, nestled in in what's called the area of the minor prophets, but yet their message was not minor and whatsoever. In fact, just as a time of remembering or bring to your remembrance, we realize that in chapter 1, Habakkuk had a problem. He was wondering about the timing and also about the idea that God was not doing something of the wickedness of the people of Judah. And then when God tells him what's going to happen, he, he says, why are you bringing a more evil nation than we are to bring your judgment. And then at the end of chapter 1, Habakkuk says, I'm going to stand on the upper rampart of the wall and wait to see God's answer. Well, chapter 2 was God's answer. Yes, even though the Babylonians are coming and they're wicked people, but yet they're not going to be out of God's punishment for that nation. And you can read about that in the book of Daniel. In Daniel chapter 5, you'll come to realize that as Nebuchadnezzar's son is having a party, a finger comes out and writes on the wall, this day your kingdom is required of you. And then we know that the Persians came in and took over the Babylonians. So God's judgment was true. But that still didn't settle, if you will, the heart of Habakkuk. And I don't know if it would settle our heart either. But the issue is, this morning, we get to chapter 3. And there's three points I want to just draw your attention to from this glorious chapter. I promise I, I won't believe, if you will, be long of these particular points. But I see them as being very important. First of all, the part, the part is the prophet's reaction. And then we're going to look at the prophet's review. And then the, finally, the prophet's rejoicing. We have the reaction, the review, and the rejoicing of what chapter 3 has to tell us. So what we discover, in, in, as we have discovered in this particular uh, study, is that Habakkuk be began by saying, how long and why? But now, in chapter, verse 2 of chapter 3, we see that Habakkuk now stands in the presence of God's power. Let me read those two verses for you again in Habakkuk 3, verse 2. O Lord, I have heard the report of you, and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. And God came from Teman, and the Holy One from Mount Paran, his splendor covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. It's almost like God is giving to Habakkuk, if you will, a display of great fireworks. God is giving to him 
the very show of him as he is in all of his majesty and glory. Now, if you go over to verse 16 of this chapter, you'll see something else. We can combine them together. And in verse 16, it says, I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. It's an amazing thing as this chapter opens and closes. The chapter opens as Habakkuk is standing and he is portraying or at least getting this grand view of who God is. And as you read chapter 3, verses, if you go to verse 4 all the way to over to verse 16, you, you're made very aware of the actions and in in, as God has worked through history to raise and to lower kingdoms. It talks about in this glorious passage about how God even spoke through the mountains, the creation of the mountains. And all of them stand in splendor of who he is. And it talks about how wonderful God is. And in the providing and in protection of his people. And so all of a sudden, Habakkuk goes from complaining now to contemplating. He's realizing that what God does is for his sovereign will to be done. And his reaction is glorious. Did you catch that phrase in the close of chapter or 3 verse 2? But in your wrath, remember mercy. In your wrath, remember mercy. I came across an interesting word in the very first verse of this particular chapter. The Shigenoth. Does anybody have that in their translation that they have this morning? I had to look that up. What is a Shigenoth? Well, it's not an instrument it is a mode of singing. It's a mode of praying. It's a lament. It's a heartfelt lament. This is not about a praise song. You are the image. It's not that. It is more of the holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty. We can sing both of those very loudly, but the mood of the song dictates what we think about. And Habakkuk is singing this, he's praying this lament, this heartfelt desire that even in your wrath, God, remember mercy. The answer to that prayer, though, if you're interested in viewing it, happens, if you will, 700 years yet in the future. It's when Jesus Christ, outside of the walls of Jerusalem, hanging suspended between heaven and earth, and yet as God is pouring out his wrath, because Jesus Christ took upon himself the sin of mankind of all ages, and as he hung there is the perfect, holy sacrifice. And God is throwing at him his wrath. Yet in that we see the mercy of God. When he says, Father, forgive them. 
for they don't know what they do. And then he proclaims, into your hand, O Father, I commend my spirit. It is finished. Well, what is finished? The plan of redemption. The only way, as Christ, even prior to going to the cross, makes mention of it when he says that in my Father's house are many mansions. He says, let not your heart be troubled. If you believe in God, believe also in me. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. But then he capsulizes all of it when he says in verse 6 of John 14, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Yes, O Lord God, in your wrath, remember mercy. And don't we see that as you come to the end of the book of Daniel, and all of a sudden Daniel is reading out of the prophet Jeremiah. And the prophet Jeremiah says, 70 years you'll be in captivity, but at the end of 70 years I'm bringing you out. And then you get into the book of Nehemiah. You get into the book, if you will, that proclaims the fact that God is bringing the people out. But even in that, Daniel never left Babylon or Persia or Greece. He stayed there. He did never went back home. But yet he still rejoiced. We have that sort of picture here as, as Habakkuk is writing for us. His whole reaction changes he no longer now is proclaiming or at least pounding, if you will. I demand an answer. No. Now he is proclaiming the very fact that in your wrath, remember mercy. But then if you go to verse 16, you come to realize that the majesty and the glory of God that causes us to stand can also bring us to our knees. He said, my body shook. My lips quivered. My knees weakened. My feet were that weak. And it gives us a picture that he has fallen down at the very understanding and seeing of the glory of God. As I shared Wednesday evening, It'll soon be now when I start listening to Handel's Messiah. George Frederick Handel, Messiah. A Messiah, an oratorio for those of you that need a musical education. That literally is a story being told. It's a Christian, if you will, view of an opera. Sort of hangs with you a little bit. It's done in the church. But as George Frederick Handel, in the first presentation, a public presentation of his work, known just as the title Messiah, he was performing it before King George of England. And when they got to the Hallelujah Chorus, King George did something that has stuck with us as a tradition. King George stood 
And everyone that was there, if the king stands, everybody stands. And they all stood. From that moment on, to even present day, when the Handel's Messiah, when the Hallelujah Chorus begins, Hallelujah, everyone stands. Because that chorus portrays the glory of who God is. But then... We come to magnificent songs. I'm thinking of Mendelssohn's Elijah. And there's a part when there's a heavy song and everyone is on their knees before God. And that's the reaction now. A stance at once was in defiance, now is in devotion. And he kneels before God and he says, wonderfully as verse 16 closes, yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. I'll wait. I think that's a good prescription, or if you will, at least a good indication of what we should be doing as believer people. We don't fully understand all that's going on around us. But the magnificence of it it is, is that we know the word of God and we know God has a plan. And all he's asking us is to wait. Are you familiar with the prophecy of Isaiah that says that they that what? Wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Waiting. It's difficult for me. Anyone else have a problem of waiting? Oh, I thought I was the only cast out of Christianity. I have a hard problem of waiting. But yet God's, and and Habakkuk tells us, it's best to wait and see what God is going to do. I'm still hoping that in the next moment, the trumpet will blow and the dead in Christ will rise first and we who are alive and remain shall be caught up to be with, meet with them to meet the Lord in the air and thus we shall ever be with the Lord. It didn't happen yet. Maybe next, it didn't happen yet. We have to wait. We wait upon the Lord. It's an interesting verse too. If you go back to chapter 3 and verse 6, it says, he stood and measured the earth and he looked and shook the nations. Those of you that were, are still in school and have been through school, you might remember just maybe one teacher or one professor that didn't have to say a word. All they had to do was look. As a senior at Lancaster Bible College, I had to, one of my assignments was that I had to lead the worship service at a, at a daily chapel. Dr. Ron Gibson was the speaker at that time. I had him in theology classes. I remember one time a student asking him on a midterm, way in the back, he says, yes, I, I see that hand. He says, what's your question? The student said, are there going to be Bible verses on the, sem- on, the, on the midterm? 
Oh, Doc Gibson stopped. All us married guys, we sat up front. We knew what was coming. He just looked at us with a whimsical smile. Then the smile changed, and he said to this boy, said, son, what's the name of this school? That should answer your question. The room was just as silent as you were. They didn't, we didn't say anything. But us married guys, <laughs> guy got nailed. Dr. Gibson, all he had to do was look. And you stood and trembled. Habakkuk says the mountains shook when God looked. Oh, you don't think that changed Habakkuk's reaction from chapter 1 and 2 to now? Because the second point is this, is that now he begins to review. He begins to bring back to remembrance the things that God did. Now you have to remember, dear people, is that prophets kept up with the daily news. Habakkuk was not strange to the moving of God through Moses through the Red Sea. He spoke about it. He understood that. He, he remembers that. He was not there at the time, but he certainly remembers it because that was taught to him. He remembers God taking care of the nation of Israel as they wandered through the wilderness. He talked about it. You gave us food. You protected us. He's highlighting all of this. And he remembered that even the nations that were against them, God protected the nation of Israel and brought them to the promised land. Now he understands what God is doing. His opening questions were answered, oh, that's why God did this this way. His opening laments are squelched, oh, that's why God did that. He begins to review the glory and the one, and shouldn't that drive us back to Calvary, dear people? To go back to that place of where we were set free. To begin to remember. I, I know Christmas is coming. And according to my favorite Christmas program, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, there's a song in there that said, it's the most wonderful time of the year. I, 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 I'm the biggest kid. Thanksgiving is my wife's. She gets one day. December is mine. I love to drive and see the lights. There's a place you can go in, in Valley View. Or as they say, Valley Woo. <laughs> this, 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 it's called the Hus family house 
And there is this glory. They took uh, their whole lawn and they created this display of lights that you can walk through. And you can give a donation and they give, and the Huss family takes that donation and gives it to a autism, if you will, group. I didn't even know it was there until Friday night when we went there. I, was, I loved it. I loved it. That, that's amazing to me. But I want to tell you something, dear people. All of that pales at the foot of the cross. Amen. All of that stops. The glitter is gone. The fantasy is over. Now we are faced with a reality that is because of Jesus Christ. That's why we do this. It is to tell people about Christ and who he is and what he's done and what he wants to do in your life. And Habakkuk finally gets that because he closes in verses 17 to verse 19. Now he rejoices. He rejoices. I looked at this, and this is kind of an interesting closing remark. George Burns used to say, a good sermon has a good beginning and a good ending as long as you don't keep the two that far apart. We had a good opening. We're having a good closing. And I'm going to bring them together so it's not too long apart. But if you'll notice in verses 17 to 19, there's a construction here. A construction of a framework of God. And at the same time, a powerful weight-bearing beam that Habakkuk says. The framework structure he is, begins with the word although or even if, whatever translation you have. And the weight-bearing beam of Habakkuk is yet. Notice as it says, although the fig tree will not blossom, yet I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. Although there's not going to be any fruit on the vines, yet I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. Although the produce of the olive fail, yet I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. I think you probably got it by now. Let me read the next although, and you respond when it says, Although the field yields no food, yet... I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. Although the flock will be cut off from the fold, yet I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. And although there's no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice 
and the God of my salvation. Could I bring that maybe even closer to our present day? Although the stock market may crash. Although the wealth of my property may fall 75%. Although gas may even go to eight bucks a gallon. Although I have to stand in line to get into Walmart. Although there's a food shortage, a toilet paper shortage, yet I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. You want to know why we can rejoice? Because the best is yet to come where there will be no shortages, there will be no conflict, there will be no disappointments. And that, dear people, is what the book of Habakkuk is all about. It's a story of our life as a believer. The storms we go through, and yet it finishes with the realization that God is still in control and we can rejoice in him no matter what. Let's pray. Our great God, it's been a short study of a short book that has a magnificent and mountainous meaning. We realize even in our own lives, O Lord, that we find ourselves in the same character of Habakkuk. We complain. We want answers quickly, and we want them the way we want them. And there's times that we do wait with expectation, expecting that you will minister the way we designed for you to minister. But yet, there comes that moment of realization that your ways are not our ways. Your thoughts are not our thoughts, saith the Lord. For as the sky is higher than the mountains, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And it is even in that that we realize that we must wait patiently. And though all around us would, cap, would be destroyed, lost, And yet we will rejoice in the Lord, the God of our salvation. Father, I thank you. Thank you for your promises of your word. Thank you for the knowing and understanding that they will all be fulfilled. 
And until, oh Lord God, we are privileged to either see you in glory or even maybe by way of the grave. Whether through calling out or bringing up. Until that day, may we rejoice, yet we will rejoice in the God of our salvation. Because you alone are worthy. And we'll be careful to praise you and thank you in the matchless name of our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Amen.